Everybody doing good today? Yeah! Ah, it's a, it's a great, great day. You know how some mornings you come into church and you're just like, Woo! You know, something is in the air today. It is awesome in this place. And it's always awesome. But there's just times where you're like, man, there's just, some, there's just a little something extra. So I don't know what it is, you know. But here's what I have found. No joke. Like, when you feel that, when you sense something like that, that it's normally an indicator that the Lord wants to really do something big. And it's a matter of just becoming very open and very surrendered and having a high level of expectation of what that's going to be in your life. Because when God comes and he meets with us here, he meets with all of us individually, but he's doing it corporately at the same time. Does that make sense? Meaning when he comes and he has something for us as a body, he has something for each of us individually too. It's kind of like we're all members of a body. We talked a little bit about this last week, but we're all members of a body. And if my body gets jarred, all of my members get jarred with it. Are you with me? Like if my body gets pushed over, my hands, my feet, everything kind of gets moved with it. And they all experience experience something and move a little differently, but everything feels the vibration. Everything feels the movement. Woo, you feel that? So the Holy Spirit is here, here and, and he's always here. He's faithful to come and visit with us, but it's powerful this morning. There's something significant. I really believe that, that, the, the, that God wants to do here among us this morning, but it's going to affect each of us individually in a powerful way. And I got to tell you, I mean, as a pastor, this is something that I know and I've learned. Like me, Matt Heck, this guy, I, I, I can't, I have nothing to offer you. You know, I don't, I can't fix people. I can't heal people. I can't change people. I can't save people. But there is one in me who is greater than all, is the name above all names. And he can do all of that. I simply just want to, to be with you and lead us today in a way where it's like, Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. There's no man, there's no person, there's no entity, there's no organization. It's you, Holy Spirit, it's you, God, and you alone that can solve and answer and bring everything that we need for our lives and everything that is eternally relevant. Amen? Amen. All right. So, expectation today Let's do this. We're going to take a few minutes. I've got just a couple announcements, but we're going to also uh, prepare our tithes and offerings while we uh, are going through some of the announcements. But I wanted to read this passage to you on, on giving. And if you're giving by check, you can make that out to Life Church. If you're giving by cash, there's envelopes on your chairs. You can fill that information out. Life Church X. Yes, I'm sorry. Put the X at the end. Thank you very much. Pastor ought to know some of those things. Okay. That's we all, yeah, that's why I need people to help me. Life Church X, yes, I gotta build, we gotta cash those checks when we take them. Um, and also, let me say this if you're new with us today, because I'm so excited, we got a lot of new visitors, don't feel pressure. You know, if, if the Lord is inclining you and, and prompting you to give, then you, should, you ought to be obedient to that leading. But we're, we're, we want you to just be here and receive today and to just allow the Lord to minister to you in a way that He wants to. So please don't feel any pressure. Um, but this is an opportunity for us as members of this body, uh, this house, to give and sow our seed, our tithes, and our offerings into the work that the Lord is doing. Okay? Amen. So listen, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 11, it says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. 
And this is extending out of the passages where God is talking about bringing the tithes into the storehouse and the first tenth of what we've been blessed with and how the Lord asks that of us and that we walk in covenant with him where he becomes our provider, right? Jehovah Jireh. And so uh, he's saying in this passage in verse 11, he's saying, if you'll covenant with me in the tithe, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. This is very powerful because a lot of times when we think about the provision of God, we think about the resources coming into our hands in a very evident and apparent way. And that happens, you know, many times you've maybe received a letter in the mail saying, hey, we're gonna forgive this debt that you owe, or you get a check unexpectedly, uh, you overpaid for something. I mean, that stuff happens, it's happened to me. I, I hear plenty of stories that it happens to people. God gives you a new job, he gives, you know, all of a sudden you get a pay raise. There's a lot of things where it's like, whoa, there's the hand of the Lord right there provision provider jehovah jireh i'm covenanting with him in the tithe and he is you know faithful to do that what he promised but there's another way that the lord is our provider the, another way that he is jehovah jireh and that is that when we're walking in covenant with god in the tithe god is standing he's reigning upon high and he is consistently rebuking the devourer for our sake meaning the enemy is constantly wanting to come against you and take what the Lord wants to give you or what he has given you. We know that because the enemy comes to do what? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he wants to steal what God is purposed for you to have, resources, plenty, abundance, whatever that might be, right? And so the enemy is always going to come after God's children to steal and take from them. But God, if he's our provider and we're walking in covenant with him, he's reigning on high and he's saying, no devil, no devil, no devil. He's rebuking the devourer for our sake. So here's the point. There are so many things that God is doing to ensure provision for you if you walk in covenant with him that you'll probably never, ever see in your natural eyes. Do you ever see God making your car run longer do you ever see God making things not break down in your house? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, holy cow, that, I mean, if you stop and think about it, my car could have, my transmission could have went out at 100,000 miles or different things. And so as we're walking in covenant with God, we just have to know and have faith that God is shielding us. He is protecting us from the enemy coming and stealing things from us on a consistent basis. And it's important that we know that because we, we still can give thanks to him and have faith in the fact that I don't know what it is that the enemy's got planned for me, but as long as God is my provider, I know when the enemy's coming against me, he's going to be rebuking every attack that the enemy has on my life. He's not going to steal anything that the Lord intends for me to have. Amen? Amen. So, guys, get, the tithe is so important. It's so important for us as believers to walk out our calling. We need it. We need God to be upon our, reigning on high, looking down upon our lives and constantly putting provision into our hand, but also rebuking the devourer for our sake, for whatever it is that he plans to come and throw against us to steal what God wants us to have. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for being a rebuker of what the devourer intends to steal from us. We thank you for being a restorer of what's been taken from us. And we give you all honor today. We sow seed in faith, knowing that you are on your throne and that you will bring provision and you will rebuke the devourer for our sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ushers, you go ahead and pass by with those offering containers.
And a uh, couple quick announcements. Our life groups just started up this past week. That was weak. Uh, I guess I need like a little cue or something, you know. I said our life group started up this week. Yeah, right. And uh, so we're, we're one week into the book Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Powerful, powerful book. Uh, so much truth that have been, has been pulled out of the Word of God and written uh, in that book and expanded upon. So I encourage you, if you're not a part of a small group, a life group, get signed up today. We're, there's a list in the back of the table uh, of all the groups that are meeting. I think there's like six of them. Uh, every week there's different evenings or days, times for, for you to be able to pick from. And uh, if you can't make every group, you should at least get the book and be reading along. It's a 40-day devotional, and I believe it will really impact your life powerfully uh, if, you'll, if you'll do that. So Life Groups just started. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, it's been a while since we said this, but you know, every Friday morning we do this men's breakfast at 7 a.m. That's going to that's gonna rule a lot of people out right there. But it's early. Uh, and so it's 7 a.m. right here in town. We've been meeting at the Bean Tree uh, more recently. And it's just been a great time. And it's just kind of like whenever you can come, come. Great conversation. I know I've been strengthened a lot out of the relationships and the talks and things that we've had there. And so I just wanted to do this. Ted was the one that originally came to me and said, hey, I just got this idea. Let's just get guys together and see what happens, you know. And I've watched, and this is, this is no joke, like Ted is an awesome guy, but I've watched him in his life for the last year and a half, two years. And it, it's just, I mean, I just thank God for what I have the privilege of seeing happen before me. He's just a man that's becoming on fire more and more for God. And there was a guy that came this last Friday, and he was, or the Friday before, and he was talking as a friend of Ted's. He's like, you know, you didn't need to say, he was like, you were just like, when you met me, when they met at the event that they were at and they were talking, he's like, it was just bubbling up out of you. Like you were just genuinely on fire for God and what he's doing in your life. He's like, I was drawn to that, you know? So anyway, I wanted him to come up here just briefly and share kind of what it means to him or why it's, why it's been so significant and, and obviously extend an invitation to everybody. So Ted, would you mind coming up here? Let's give him a round of applause as he comes up. Great to, great to see a lot of new people, new faces here, um, and familiar faces, too. Uh, back November of last year, my family and I were in the process of really trying to figure out what we were going to do church-wise. And we're for, we live here in Waterloo, have since 1995, and basically I needed to meet with Matt just one-on-one, so I said, Look, meet, meet me at breakfast at the diner up here. And we were sitting there, and I have... Uh, clients in town and, and we were eating breakfast and how many of you have been to a restaurant and you see uh, this group of uh, retired gentlemen that are always sitting in there they have their little own breakfast club well, I, all of a sudden we were eating we were eating breakfast I knew half of them because you know they're, they're all from Waterloo and I looked at Matt and I said you know what why do we wait till we're 65 or, or 70 to do this and he says I don't know I said you know, there, there's, there's guys out there, and we're not good at talking. Okay, let's just be honest across the board. Um, we kind of keep things buried in, and there's a lot of guys in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s that are sitting out there feeling alone and suffering in silence. And I said, Matt, let's do it. Next week, same time, same place. You bring a friend, I'll bring a friend. And keep in mind, this is last late November, December. And 
I just kept after it. We kept adding names and we kept sending people and Ferd and, and Chuck and John and, and a bunch of people that are here right now have been. And they come and go. It's like our own, you ever see the movie Breakfast Club? We never know who's going to show up. But God's got his hand on it because we have had lots of different people both from, you know, from the church as well as outside the church. And it's been a chance for me to just, in my own small way, extend. Got that in. Scored some brownie points with the pastor. So. Uh, to extend an offer to people that, you know, having been here in Waterloo for 20, you know, 20 plus years, to extend it and bring some people in that just I know I've known for years and just have a chance to sit down and talk to them. Topic? There is no topic. It's just guys getting together, being guys. We try to keep it from becoming a bunco group where you sit around and bash all the guys because we know that happens. We're not talking about women. We're, we're talking about guy stuff. Uh, so if there are any guys here or any of you know some guys that would like to come, it's 7 a.m. every Friday morning, and we meet over here at Bean Tree Cafe, which is downtown. We have for a while. We rotate it around a little bit. Give me your cell phone number. I'll put you in this group, and I'll text you, and we'll make sure that, that you get a little reminder during the week. The relationships that I've developed with, with people here has been phenomenal. And, you know, speaking of another movie, sometimes there's only been two times that I've shown up at this and had breakfast by myself, by the way, which is awesome. Uh, the other times, Matt, sometimes it's just he and I. God's got his hand on that because then Matt got to see, got, got to experience the good, the bad, and the ugly came to meeting with me alone so hey 7 a.m bean tree cafe anybody who wants to great talk to me afterwards awesome thanks ted pretty smooth with words man <laughs> you know you ever been in there and you see a bunch of oh retired people retired guys uh, sitting around that's funny um anyway yeah it's a great time so i encourage you if you're interested to get with ted get him your cell phone number so we're going we're gonna to get into the message today. And if you were with us last week, we actually started a new message series. And I'm very excited about this. The message series is called Mythbusters, What is Church? Right? And so here's the point, the concept that sort of everything is being unpacked from, is that a large portion of people in the United States today, uh, in our nation, that have heard of God. It's not often that you know, you see a lot of people that have just no, uh, have never heard about Jesus or Christianity. By and large, a lot of the U.S. people have heard of uh, Jesus or have been to church or been invited to church before. But here's the thing. A vast majority of them have an improper view of what church is. A lot of times, there is the are a lot of misconceptions that people begin to formulate opinions from about church, and what it ends up doing is it keeps them distant from God or from church, and that's a problem because if those views are wrong, if they're based on improper things, and they're keeping people from a relationship with God, then there has to be a way to bridge that gap. We've got to figure out how to dismantle improper views that people have and help them form proper views of what the church really is. Now, admittedly, as a, as a church, we're, we're made up of people, so we're imperfect. So there have been things that have been done 
by churches that have hurt people and have wounded people and have given them reasons to develop these opinions. But we have to understand that the church Jesus established, when he was talking to Peter, he said, on this rock I will build my church. That church was a church that was to be moving in power, was to be moving in forgiveness, with grace, all the things that Jesus walked with. So when people get in front of and have uh, an encounter with something that represents and reflects the authentic church, it's life-changing and it's revolutionary for them. And if they can get a picture and an, an encounter with what church really is, if they have improper views, improper opinions, of things, then that ultimately can begin to dismantle incorrect views because the Spirit of God is moving through that, and they can begin to reconstruct the right views about what church really is, this church that Jesus came to the earth to establish. Because that's his answer for a a hurting and lost and dying world. Jesus came and then he left and he sent the Holy Spirit so that it could live inside of the church, us, members of that body, And that we could be the answer to carry uh, Jesus with us to the hurting, lost, and dying world out there. It's all about eternity. It's all about seeing people know Jesus and be able to get into the kingdom after they leave this world. And so we, as believers, have to say, okay, God, we've got to walk in that authentic representation of what the church was that you established. And if we do, we know we will see great and miraculous things begin to happen across our nation. Amen? Our, our nation is in a really tough place. I don't know that there's many people here that would disagree with me on that. It's going in a, in a rough direction on a lot of levels, you know, no matter how you look at it. And so politically, I don't know what kind of answers that... that politicians can really bring to the table that are going to solve the kind of things that we've got ourselves into. It's really going to take a move of God's spirit. It's not about reform. It's really about revival. It's a time for awakening. And in order for that to happen at a widespread level, we need the churches across our nation rising up powerfully and representing this authentic church that Jesus came and died and empowered us to walk in. Amen? So, what I did last week is I took a number of common myths, uh, fallacies, improper views about church, some of the most common views that are out there in the world when people are surveyed and they do research to see what are the things that a lot of people, probably people that you and I know, uh, maybe even people here today, views that they have about church that can really cause them to be distant from church but are based on improper things according to what the Bible has to say. So we call it myth busters because we take these myths one by one and we we begin to break them down and then debunk them so that we can get a revelation of truth and that we can carry that with us to that world outside. Amen? So we went through four of them last week and if you weren't here I'm going to tell you what those four were, but I'm not going to be able to expand on them, of course. You can listen to the podcast. It's up right now, and all of those are out there. Number one was church is really a building, or church is a building. Two is church where I go to get my needs met. Three is that church is one day a week. And then four, church is for perfect people. That was a fun one. That was good. Yeah. You guys know if church is for perfect people, there'd never be a church service anywhere, right? Ever, ever. So... Anyway, I encourage you to listen to those. They're not; These are not in any particular order, so you can listen to these messages and, and stay plugged in. And I'm just going to be 
I'm just going to be a, a, a realist about this. It's not going to end today. I've got, we've got 12 total. And so, and so we're going to get through, I think, four more today, God willing. Uh, and we're going to get through four more today. And then next week we'll finish it up with the last four. So are you ready? You got your seatbelts on, you buckled up, you're ready to go. Okay. Myth number five. Myth number five, church is where we connect with God. Church is where we connect with God. So, a lot of times people can get the view, have the... The, 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 the sense or the feeling that they don't experience God, they don't encounter God, they don't meet with Him unless it's on a Sunday morning when they're in church and in a service and then they go and they experience God and then that's it until next week. Now, when you think about this, if you look at the way that the, the times were in the Old Testament, it's not totally inconceivable that this view would still kind of permeate through a, a, a lot of our culture, okay? Because here's the, here's the way it was set up. We know that Adam and Eve walked with God in fellowship in the garden, and then they sinned, and the fall came, and so they were separated from God. There was a distance that was created because of that sin. And so here's the way that, that God established it for the nation of Israel is that he set up uh, a temple and then he created, they ha he had Moses and, and all of them build the temple and then they would have the uh, this veil, this big like drape or this big curtain. And what that did was it covered what was behind the veil, which is what they called the Holy of Holies. Okay. And in the Holy of Holies, there was what we know was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Does anybody, pop quiz, anybody know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Three things. Anybody want to raise your hand so you can take a shot? A little group session today. Anybody? No? Pressure's on. Nobody's like, oh, I can't be get that wrong. Okay. Boom! That is awesome. She got it right. The manna. Paul, you see why I didn't call on you? Oh, you are so, uh, God bless you. God bless you. You're going to get to heaven before all of us are. Awesome. Ah. So the manna that was the bread from heaven, the rod that Aaron carried with him that sprouted out, right? And then the tablets from the Ten Commandments. The three things were in the Ark of the Covenant. And so what it was is it was this place behind the veil, which is where the presence of God was thick, it was heavy, it was strong. And then God instituted this thing where the high priest was the only one that could go behind this veil at certain times of the year. And he could go behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies, and he could dwell in that presence of God. And if anyone else would ever to do that, they would, they would die. They couldn't handle it. It was this thing that God established because of, of the way that he's just all wise and all knowing, right? But here's the point, okay? So, so there was a time 
when in order for people to encounter God, experience God, meet with God, there were certain proximity rules that were established that were affecting location and when and where and who could ever do that. But something crazy happened, like something that was the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world, right? And if you read with me in Matthew chapter 27, it kind of talks about this veil, this thing that was set up where the Holy of Holies was behind that. And this was right after Jesus was get ready to die on the cross and is taking his last breath. Verse 50, we can get the scriptures up there. It says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and then yielded up his spirit. So he died, he breathed his last breath. And then the next verse, 51, listen, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom and the earthquake and the rocks split so what did god do when jesus completed his work on the cross the first thing he did is he tore the veil in half what does that mean it means something huge it means that there were no longer these restrictions and these rules and, and these policies if you will that regulated how anyone who knew Jesus could experience, could encounter, could meet with God whenever they wanted to. So listen, do you meet with God? Do you connect with God when you're in church? Absolutely. Absolutely. When we come here together, we, we meet with God. We experience his presence and his power. But hear me, so important that we never get this feeling or this view that it's because we're sitting in this building, because we're in this location on a Sunday morning, that that's the time when the light goes on and we get to get what we get from God. It's 24-7, baby, all the time. God ripped that veil in half and he let... He, he, he just totally changed the game, and there were no longer any of these rules and these policies in force. There's this, in, in some of the business dealings that I have, there's this term that we use called exclusivity agreement, okay? And that means that there's only certain ways that certain things can be done by certain people, basically. So if you make a product and a company's going to sell your product, they may say, well, we want exclusivity in this region, which means nobody else can sell it, nobody else can do it. We want it all in this area. And so that happens. But Jesus, what he did, whenever he died and they ripped that temple, they, the, the exclusivity agreement that was in place in the Old Testament on the high priest and the Holy of Holies and the veil, he abolished the exclusivity agreement. He terminated that thing. And he said, every one of my children, everywhere, every time, anytime they call on my name, I will be there. I will meet with them and they will experience my power, my presence and see part of my Amen. So is, is church where we meet, where we connect with God? I guess I should say only, right, is really the key there. No. And the problem is, guys, if we, if we have that view and that opinion, then, then we're never going to be expecting to encounter God when we're not here. Right? When people have that view, like it's just Sunday, it's just that little window of time outside of that, it's like they're never in tune. They're never looking for it. They're never expecting it. Right? Expecting. See how? And so they're never looking for it. And so we have to 
not have carry that view with us that we encounter God only when we're at church. Church cultivates and builds and develops our faith and raises us up strong. But it is not the only time and the only place that we experience God. If it were, this would be a problem. Because, I mean, even if you made it every single week of the year to church, you'd only get 52 days out of 365. And if church is approximately an hour to an hour and a half long, and you're really engaged that whole time, then you're really only going to get 52 to whatever, 70-something hours in the course of your year when there's 365 times 24. I don't know what that turns out to. But do you get what I'm saying? It's a very, very small percentage and fraction of the life that God has blessed us to live. And He wants to be with us every breath we take, not just 50-something hours in a year. And if we carry the reality and the revelation of what this means, and then we are walking with and encountering God consistently every day in our lives, people will notice. Do you understand? The world that has the wrong view, that has an improper view, they will notice, they will draw attention, and there will be something that confronts them, a challenge and say, wait a minute, this just conflicts with everything that I've thought and known. Wait a minute, like, experiencing God outside of Sunday, wait a minute, what does that mean? You know, like I go for an hour every Sunday. That's what I do. That's where I experience God. And so when we represent what that revelation of truth is and we live it, it begins to kind of confront and, and sort of countercultural to whatever improper views that people have established are. Make sense? All right. So myth number five is debunked. Church is where we connect with God only. Myth number six. Church, oh boy, this is a tough one. Church is how I earn God's love. And I say that this is tough because I actually have heard stories where like churches have like really caused people to feel that. Like if they're not in church, then somehow they're, they're far away from God and God doesn't love them or he's, he's uh, angry with them and, and things like that. So this one like really just kind of gets at me. But it's, this one is, to me, it's very, very simple actually. God's love is completely unconditional. It's completely unconditional. And the Bible tells us that we have been bought at a price. Jesus paid the price already for us to have this free gift of grace and to walk in his empowering grace and that love that, that he has for us all the time. Amen. And so you can't earn something that you've already been given. Does that make sense? You can't earn a gift that you've already received if it's been given to you freely. Now, if I were to say, uh, ma'am, I'm so glad that you've got, that I was able to give you those flowers today. Yeah, and so I'm gonna need you to come over to my house this week. I've got some cleaning that needs to be done. Uh, yeah, no, just, just a little bit of stuff. And, 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 you know, and you're just gonna, yeah, you're just, do my nails? Eh, I'm not really big into that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, I'm actually married, so this is a tough one. Uh, oh, we're getting out of joy. God help me. Uh, I feel like I just totally lost control of this whole thing. <laughs> oh, Pastor Blush. Okay. Um, <laughs> we can't. So, so if I were to say, you know, you're going to have to earn those flowers and, 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 you know, I got some work for you to do now. You know, it's kind of like the whole gotcha kind of thing. Listen, my point is this. God doesn't ever pull a gotcha kind of deal. You can't earn his love. He gave it to you freely. The price was already paid. You already bought. So when you receive it, you've got it. You're never going to lose it. He's never going to pull a gotcha and say, okay, if you want to keep it, you got to earn it. Whether it's coming to church or doing anything else, it's a works-driven mentality, and you can't ever earn anything through works. What is works? Works is an outflow we ought to do good works, but it's not the preface or the precursor. The thing that we receive first is grace and love. And when it revolutionizes and transforms us, it produces a desire to serve and do good works. And so works are an outflow of somebody that understands they have God's love unconditionally all the time. Makes sense? You can't earn God's love by coming to church. Now, we need to be at church because that is an expression of us gathering together with other believers and sharing that love that God and what he's doing in our lives. But you get what I'm saying is that it's it's all an outflow. It's all coming out of something that's already happened on the inside of us. And if we get it backwards where we think there's something that we have to do, where there's something that we can to earn to stay in God's love, it's like chasing a it's, you're never going to get it. You're never going to grab hold of it. you got to get a revelation of grace and unconditional love. And then you know that everything you're doing and everything you're striving toward is to serve the God who loved you so much that he died for you. You sitting in a chair on a Sunday morning isn't earning anything. It's you responding to what's already been done for you that was given to you freely. Amen. So myth number six debunked I need like a bang, like a little drum thing up here or something huh? debunked uh, oh. okay let's try and figure out which one of these we can tackle alright let's do this Let's, and then we're going to probably end on this one <laughs> okay Church ministry is for select people. I gotta write that down. Church ministry, or just say ministry, whatever. Ministry is only for select people. Now, the first thing I would ask you is, you know, what is your definition of ministry? Really, 
Because I think that's what we've got to sort of break down in a lot of cases. Because a lot of times when people think of ministry, they think of praying for the sick. They think of preaching and teaching in a service or in a Sunday school. They think of all the kind of uh, things that are strictly regulated to maybe what we would say leaders in the church or offices of the church are functioning in. So the, the first thing you got to do is you got you to challenge your, your view of the definition ministry, okay? So listen to this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the word minister, right there, or uh, same thing that ministry comes from, what is that, if we break it down into Greek, what does it mean? It, it comes from a, a word called dikenio, which means to actively serve, literally kicking up dust because you are on the move, spirit-empowered service guided by faith, the Lord's in-birth persuasion. Now, I would just get you to think about this. That is for every single person who is a child of God, who has God's spirit in them. Now, are, is every person called to stand up and in in preach in a pastoral capacity? No. Is every person called to be an evangelist? No. But are there things that every one of us ought to be compelled by the Spirit and led and guided to do as a service to God to make a difference in the world? Absolutely, right? So church, when you think of ministry, only being for select people, you've got to totally throw that idea out the window or that will debilitate, it will regulate each and every one of us to, to, to things that God wants to lead us and guide us in to do as a service to him and to the, to the world that we will miss if we think that it's only for certain kinds of people in the church. He also says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, listen to this one, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, same word, service, but the same Lord, and diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So all of us are called if we want to use the word ministry, that's fine, but let's swap it out and say we are all called to be serving God and led by God to do things with gifts that we've been granted by His grace that are going to serve Him and are going to help build His kingdom. What are those things? Well, they look differently. There's unique expressions of them. We see that right here. There's diversities. Everything that we're all called to do, there's not a carbon copy of it out there, guys. Each of us have something we're uniquely wired and gifted to share with the world and to serve God in a way that helps to build his kingdom, edify the church, and it brings him glory. None of us are out, out from under that calling and that mandate. When we talk about praying for people, we talk about sharing our witness and our testimony. Every single person who's been called by God has been called into those things, right? So if we have a view of where ministry 
is something that's only for church offices, it's going to stifle the work that God wants to do among the greater body as a whole. If you look at the whole body comprised of all of us as members, there's really a small percentage of them that are pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and apostles. That's, there's a small percentage of the overall body that are in those offices. The vast majority of the body are people that are still called to carry a ministry with them, a service to God to impact and affect the world around them, right? Listen, to one more scripture. I'll end with this one. Is in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, get this, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Exact same word in the Greek used there for ministry. Wow. We are all carrying, who carry God's spirit in us, are all carrying a ministry with us. And part of that ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means the same price that was paid that you were bought at is the same price that we, that everyone else in the world that hasn't experienced that can be saved from as well. And when we, when we carry that with us, we're simply sharing and testifying to what God has already done and given us in our own lives. And we have a mandate, we have a calling, we have a responsibility to share that with the world around us. You know, when God talks about it, he, or when Paul talks about it in Corinthians, he says to be zealous, to be anxious for these gifts and these services to flow out of you. It's, it's not like some sort of, okay, I'm going to serve, I'm going to do things in the church or whatever I do as a duty. No, he's saying you ought to be zealous and excited and passionate about the gifts that God's put in you getting stirred up and be put to use in the world around you because it's the answer, it's the solution for the lost and hurting, dying world because God's body representing the gifts and flowing in that ministry is what the authentic church looks like. The early days of the church, guys, it was not a dead church. It was a power sweeping movement. I mean, it changed cities, came in, and it turned them upside down. This church that we saw, that we see in the Bible, was powerful, and its members were moving in that power. Today, a lot of people in the church have lost that. They're, they're, they're not in tune with that. They think, I go to church, I do this thing, but really the ministry is reserved for certain people that are in places in the church, and we'll leave it to them. That's just not a view. It's not a belief that God has given us, and it's not something that we can walk in and see our nation transformed from. We've got to all get in this fight, man. We've got to all get engaged in this thing. I love seeing the gifts and the ministry that God has put in you come alive. I love it. It, it gets me so passionate to see God stirring things up and see things get put to use in people's lives. Everybody say, I have a ministry in me. 
Amen. All right, let's stand to our feet today. Oh, <laughs> let's not leave that one unbunked. Debunked. Listen, we are going to finish next week. <laughs> I know that. But, uh, you know, some of the ones we have here is church is optional. Church is all about money, your money. Church is about a bunch of rules. Oh, this is a good one. Ooh. Yeah, sit back down. No. Uh, church, should, church should stay out of my personal life. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Um, but listen, I hope that you come back and, and join us next Sunday as we finish up this series. My heart in this whole thing, it really comes down to this. I want us to be a representation of the authentic church that Jesus established. The church he died for. Are we going to get it perfect? No. No. But I know that there's a lot of these things that are common misconceptions the world has out there. And I run into them a lot. And I'm faced with them a lot. And in a lot of cases, it breaks my heart because it's a wedge that's been driven between somebody that God loves and walking in the awareness of that love each and every day. And it, it's just not okay with me. It shouldn't be okay with you. It really shouldn't, right? And we want to be the authentic church that Jesus established. And as we strive for that, I believe that as the, the vast majority of the body of Christ gets engaged and fulfills their calling and functions in their gifts and says, what is it, God, what is this ministry that you've put in me? Well, how can I serve you in all that I do? And we get engaged in that. I believe we'll begin to see the scale tip back in the direction of God's spirit moving across this nation and getting a hold of our country. I believe that with all my heart.